Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. Today we have a bit of a mix. We're going to be chatting about the benefits of having a guide dog, finding the right dog, and a little bit on volunteering as well. Now, as a guide dog owner, I know pretty much what it's like trying to get a new dog, working with a new dog, what's the best one for you, all sorts of choices and decisions. Now, first of all, we have with us Sue Bushell from the charity. Sue, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for asking me on. Tell me then a little bit about the work you do. I'm a community engagement officer. Each of our mobility teams has one. There's 20 of us across the country. I cover Birmingham, Herefordshire, Gloucestershire and Worcestershire, so I've got a lovely patch. And my role and all the engagement officers' roles basically are around raising awareness about our services to people who might need them, but also working with other organisations, local authorities, and trying to make sure that everywhere is as inclusive and accessible for everybody so we can all get around and about in the same way. We do a bit of campaigning, a bit of media, a bit of marketing. I hate to say it, but a bit of jack of all <laughs> trades, if you like. <laughs> you do everything with a sense of it, Sue. Yeah. So when it comes to perhaps people thinking about gay dogs or benefiting from the, the charity services, there'll be a lot to take into consideration when you're having an initial chat with people. There is, yes. My role really is very much just making people aware that, yes, we do provide our lovely guide dogs to people who want one. But for people who don't necessarily want a dog, making them aware of the fact that we have our My Guide volunteering service as well. So we actually recruit and train volunteers to guide. And what we're finding very often is that people are going on from having a My Guide volunteer, getting the confidence to get out and about. And then they're going on to think, well, actually, I do quite fancy being a bit more independent and I will apply for a guide dog as well. And when it comes to that selection of the dog, you know, many people may think you know, they've had dogs before. It could be a religious thing. It could be allergies and so on. But there are workarounds for many things. There are. I mean, we'll work with people. If they would like a dog, they qualify to have a dog, they would benefit from them. We will work with them to try and make sure that happens. And it was interesting, actually. We were at the site village in Birmingham this year in July. Myself and Andy Guile, one of our education and demo guys, who many people listen to this might know because they might well have had their first walk with him and one of his demonstration dogs. We ran a workshop called Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Guide Dogs But Were Too Afraid to Ask. (laughs) And we thought... We'll see what happens from that. And it was very interesting, actually, that a lot of people came along from all different types of communities, all different types of backgrounds, but they hadn't had a dog before. And they were very much afraid that we'd say, right, here you go, here's your dog, get on with it. And we don't. We work with people. I mean, Mohammed can tell you more than I can, really, of the work that we went through with him and with his family to help them get used to the responsibility of guide dog ownership, how dogs behave, grooming and and everything else. And we have Mohammed with us. So, Mohammed, tell me a little bit about yourself then. Sure, I'm registered blind and I have been since birth. I suffered congenital blindness, condition Leber's congenital amaurosis. Started to learn the cane from when I was about five years of age with the specialist education system that I went through. And it was recent that I think I thought, well, I want to get a guide dog. Was it something you had to give a lot of thought to? Definitely, because I've been scared of guide dogs due to cultural reasons and not being brought up with dogs. So it wasn't easy for me to think about having, having a guide dog. So, is this something you're starting to hear more and more of? You know, some of the concerns which Mohammed mentioned, that fear of dogs and the cultural barriers as well. 
Yes, we do. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have a very low percentage of our guide dog owners from BME communities, from black and minority ethnic communities. In Birmingham, we only have around about 5% of our guide dog owners who are from those communities, which is a very low number when you consider how diverse the city of Birmingham is. It's one of the reasons I nominated Mohammed for Volunteer of the Year, because he will come along to community events and his patients and his dog Solo's patients and talking to people is really starting to break down some of the barriers and people are getting more and more interested in speaking to us about how potentially a guide dog can change their lives too. Mohammed, what's it been like having Solo? It's been very, very tough, if I'm honest with you, Alan. It's been a massive step for myself in overcoming those fears. And then having overcome those fears, I've had a lot of barriers put up in my way. And that's barriers from the community, from the family. Those were cultural barriers that were put up in my way. There were religious barriers. And I must confess and make it very clear that in the religion of Islam, which I follow, being Muslim, guide dogs are certainly allowed for people who need them. They do serve a purpose to make life easy for people who are blind or partially sighted. It meant that family were backing off, basically you know, sort of a bit reluctant to sort of come to the house. And then you got the community to deal with, walking around with the dog in the community, entering shops, Taxis were my biggest hurdle, and I'm sure it's for many, excepting the dog in the taxi. Obviously, I did get some family support. Initially, my wife was not going to accept the dog. It was going to either be her living in the house, or it was going to be the dog living in the house. And that's when Guide Dog said, we're not going to cause family rifts gave me a DVD, left me with some literature. As time went on, my wife watched the DVD, which I would recommend to anyone basically facing the issues that I faced, as it was translated into several different languages, and it showed um, the different communities going into the different places of worship and how it all came about. And with the help of guide dogs, the literature, the DVD, me talking to her, and knowingly that there were no pressures on her, she eventually realised that I do need a guide dog and how it would alleviate her from her responsibilities and enable her to do the things that she wants to do, but at the same time, give me back my eyes and give me back my independence. My sister, on the other hand, who was very, very fearful of dogs, has always been supportive right from the start, and she was the only one family member that did support me until this day does and has got rid of her fears. And she said, oh, I want to be involved. And I said, well, you know, you're scared of dogs. You won't come to the house. And when you do come, I've got to bench him, and, you know, and you're still fearful. Anyway, the following day, the event started, and I remember standing behind that stall with a bucket in my hand, and all of a sudden, she comes and starts to stroke the dog, and I'm thinking, <laughs> hold it, you know, what's this? Is, are you for real here, you know? One minute you're telling me you're scared, and you want to do fundraising, and next minute, here you are. And it didn't take a very long at all. So now, she goes fundraising with us, and she'll hold on to my dog whilst I go and do something else, and, you know, and she'll pat the dogs, and she's not scared of any of the guide dogs anymore, and she wants so a lot of involvement, and... Actually, funnily enough, she was speaking to somebody from one of the female mosque leaders, 
and her and another couple of people from my family who are supportive of the idea of me having a guide dog are going to set up a meeting to try and remove those barriers and to try and highlight the issues that blind and partially sighted people face and a guide dog should be allowed you know in communities and into places of worship up to a certain point the mosque were very supportive and there's a shop I visit and the shop owner was a committee member and a chair of the mosque at the time when I was training with my first guide dog solo and he has and will always be very supportive of the idea and he gave me a kennel from his back garden he also liaised with the imam of the mosque and some of the community who come to pray at the mosque and I was accepted into the mosque with my guide dog. Mohammed, it sounds as if you've not only had to deal with training with the dog and building up your own independence conquering your own fears but you're also you know, challenging these uh, maybe I could use the word misconceptions because the dogs are working dogs that they're service dogs but you seem determined to show people the difference that they can make and that they're not to be feared. That's right. And these misconceptions are sometimes difficult to overcome uh, for certain people. But it's about educating the community rather than arguing with them. So what I've done is I've given them copies of the fatwa, which was given to me by guide dogs, and it was taken off the back of a case where the first Muslim chap was allowed to take his guide dog, Vargo, to the mosque in Leicester and the Islamic Council of Britain and guide dog's community engagement officer worked with him and that's where the fatwa came from. So what I've done is I talk to people but I issue them with the fatwa of what Islamic law has to say and Islamic law says that you are allowed to have a guide dog. Before I had a guide dog I approached a lot of the imams and scholars from different mosques to get their views as well as the fatwa and everybody came back to me with the same answer and the way it was put to me was a very good example that in the law of Islam the alcohol is forbidden for Muslim people but when we consume medication whether we've got a headache and we need paracetamol or whether we're going to have a general anesthetic when we have an operation now those things obviously contain alcohol but you know obviously because you need that medication that is obviously allowed so for the same reasons you know to just have a pet dog obviously yes okay it's a different thing you know you might not be allowed but having a guide dog and seeing it as a tool and seeing it at somebody's eyes Islam does make way it's very very flexible Sue it's a fantastic story Mohammed is working a way to change a lot of these misconceptions I can see why you put him forward for this award now if people would like to learn more about guide dogs is there somewhere they can do that one of the best places is our website guidedogs.org.uk if anyone wants to contact us a very very easy email is guidedogs at guidedogs.org.uk Sue thank you for joining us Mohammed. best of luck with, with chipping away at those barriers and thanks to both of you for speaking with us on RNIB Connect Radio thank you thank you very much for more downloads like these, visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts.